I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Amanda Lett. And we love to watch. We love to watch Crocodile Dundee's Grim Reaper. Up on Cripple Creek, she sends me if I spring a leak. She mends me, I don't have to speak. She defends me, a drunkard's dream, if I ever did see one. Hey Pete, hey Amanda. Hey! Hi, team. Oh, oh, good day, mates. <laughs> Let's see how many different like variations of English accents we can do because mine's gonna go to Scottish pretty quickly. Um... <laughs> what if we just talk all in monotone, like the New Zealanders? That was terrible. That was a New Zealander. I don't know. <laughs> Present. Present. Our, our two Kiwi <laughs> listeners are going to be real ticked off. Oh my god, oh, yeah. yeah. Daniel Hedger, we apologize in advance for this episode, if you're even still listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, we, we do apologize for how much we're going to butcher your region of the world's uh, numerous accents. We might accidentally do a great New Zealand accent just trying to do an Australian one. Yeah, like, we're going to get something, British Isles. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to get, you know, maybe like, maybe Scottish, maybe Welsh. Not many people know about Welsh accents. We could be nailing it and not even realize it. Or like we try and do an Irish accent and it just comes out vaguely Indian. Uh, then we're off the show. Then we're canceled. I think whatever way we go, it's going to be highly offensive. But there's an ocean between us, so I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's like other white people, so we're fine. What are they going to do? Like, yeah. send an army of kangaroos after us? I mean, do, <laughs> do people in New York still listen to our podcast, you think? Hey! Hey! Oh. I'm having a pizza pie <laughs> with a gringo. <laughs> I meant to say dingo. I said gringo. You said gringo. Different, a- different <laughs> accent. But uh, let's just say the least offensive one. Okay. Uh, so, this week we are kicking off Kill Billy's Month. Part two. Yeah, it's Kill Billy's Volume 2. This time, uh, we're going to have some American entries, and we're also going to have uh, an international entry. Which we're going national! Which is to show you that there are hillbillies all over the world. Oh, it's true. With all sorts of accents and strange, uh, strange attitudes, but they all have one thing in common, and that's that they're going to murder your middle class and upper middle class ass. <laughs> they love doing it. It's it's part of they like taking people apart, yeah. not putting them back together. <laughs> <laughs> they like flannel and they like murder. It's the two things. Let's not forget hats and rusted out cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big into car culture. Big into car culture. And breaking them. Uh, being mad at people for breaking, for fucking with their trucks. Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. No, they hate that. Number one hillbilly thing is your truck. <laughs> Number two, murdering people that wander into their land. <laughs> and also, there's a 50-50 shot. They're going to eat you. You're slower than a roux, probably. So, I mean, why wouldn't they eat you? I mean, it's just wasteful to shoot something and not not eat it. They do, do live off the land. call them roux? Mm-hmm. And you're on their land. And you're on the land. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're going to be living right off you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you're land now. <laughs> All right, now do Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Get off my land. <laughs> Listen, watch out for kangaroos. <laughs> the drop ass oh. will get you. 
Uh, in like okay. in like two weeks, Peter and I are going to be like, "What's this lowest listening time ever episode?" <laughs> but we oh, had fun, it. and that's all. But that yeah. counts. <laughs> that's but what our, really matters. Our first entry is Wolf Creek, uh, the 2006 horror movie from the land down under. Mm-hmm. And joining us is Amanda Lett, hey! who we, we we have let be back on. The podcast she was uh, she was on previously really? on our thing from another world episode. I was, and which was great. And she's back, baby. But uh, yeah, what you been up to, Amanda? How's everything going? You know, it's kind of same old, same old. I'm uh, still moderating the dissolve, so I may have deleted someone's post a time or two, and uh, writing my dissertation. So that's not exciting. Don't confuse those two. <laughs> I'm not deleting oh, my shit. dissertation. Eight pages gone. <laughs> <laughs> or posting a deleted comment as your dissertation. As my dissertation. Yeah. So, like, why, why does Amanda hate women so much? <laughs> this thread oh. is really weird. Why is she talking about engravers? Oh, my gosh. Why is Amanda keep S- talking about being triggered? <laughs> <laughs> my my advisors are going to have an intervention for me soon. <laughs> like, yeah, um, we didn't like your dissertation at all. Yeah, they're real concerned. Uh, seems like you were just making jokes and puns about movies. I don't get it. <laughs> this is my There's just a whole gossip section. Yeah. Your footnotes are all gifts and it's very confusing. <laughs> well, Amanda, uh, so this this movie Wolf Creek is based on a true story. It is. We're going to get into that. A yes. couple true stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's based on a lot of asterisks. <laughs> um, and, Indeed. But, but – uh, but um, Amanda had never seen it. We'll talk about her thoughts on the movie. But she's really into true crime stuff, I think, based on one message where she mentioned it. I usually don't tell people, but yes, I am into true crime. So you've created a true crime game yes. based on watching this movie. You wanted to do a quiz based on it. And we are very excited to do what, – what's the name of it? Let's really let's really jazz up the name. Oh, oh crap. Uh, this is the – Movie murder quiz. I don't know. Okay, that just kind of describes it, though, right, Amanda? It's a working title. Okay. Working title. (laughs) Murder movie. That is actually a production company, so. You don't get a point for that. Um, So, Amanda, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your game, working title, true crime murder podcast, uh, not in breach of either the production company or uh, my favorite murder. Yes. So what I've done is I have five questions for you guys that relate to movies that have some sort of true crime connection. Your job is going to be to figure out what that true crime connection is. It might be a person. It might be a thing. But you guys have to figure it out. All right. So are we doing this or what? Okay. So we just we just yell out. Like yes. pandemonium when we think we know the answer. Yes. I want you to raise okay. your hand and I will call on you in an orderly fashion. Okay. Our first nine hour podcast. <laughs> we wait until our batteries die. <laughs> I just don't know why I can't see them. <laughs> Do you want to lead us into this lovely game that you brought for us? So this is the first question. I'm going to start you off on what is probably an easy question. But I think, you know, if you know a little bit about true crime and you know a little bit about film, you'll probably get this one. Punch his pilot. Surprisingly, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Trick question. All these are about Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I'm real oh, worried about oh. you guys. And so this is really, this is, this is just this an is intervention. our intervention. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So question one, 
this killer is often cited as the basis for some of the most famous movie murderers. Uh, at game? Yes, it's at game. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a polite way to ding in that wasn't just yelling at your face. <laughs> <laughs> you can yell. I was going to yell. And what uh, were Ed Gein. It is Ed Gein. Yes. So Ed Gein is the uh, famous killer from Wisconsin who uh, also dug up bodies and made clothes out of them. So Hannibal Lecter. Uh, uh, also a little Nazi thing. Like, yeah. He made like lamp, lampshades. Lamp- he made a belt out of that was, that was studded with nipples. Yes. Uh, I... I um, Ashtray made out of a skull. Ooh. Yeah, you know. Do you think maybe that skull ashtray was actually like performance art or like a like a t- statement against smoking, like smoking kills? Yeah, I don't think he was that smart. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a craftsman, though. He uh, was a let's craftsman. Let's not forget that. An artisan, you might say. <laughs> I would. Yeah, you would. His Etsy sales would be low, but, <laughs> um, you know, he would technically be listed on the site. It's true. Probably around Christmas, he would get a bump. Yeah, everybody gets a Christmas bump on yeah. Etsy. It's like Christmas for those people. I mean, he was making ashtrays, so I think Father's Day probably. Oh, there you go, <laughs> yeah. Uh, belts, certainly. I mean, nobody buys a belt for their mom for Mother's Day, but I could see that as a good Father's Day present. Mm-hmm. Or if you notice that somebody around you has either uh, gained a lot of weight or is losing a lot of weight. <laughs> Do you know those presents you get for people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of my presents for people are based on how big they look to me at any given moment. <laughs> <laughs> Their weight by the okay. pound. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna get you uh, this book, but I decided you look like you spend enough time sitting around. I was wearing a parka. Yeah, <laughs> maybe wear it all the time, and the belt will fit. <laughs> so, uh, Amanda. So that's a point for Peter. Yes, you have a point. I mean, judges. Sure, you have a point. I'm taking my judge hat off. <laughs> <laughs> Putting your contestant hat on. I've been next to my couch for 60 episodes just hoping. <laughs> they got called to be a judge. Dust that you, off. You know, you know how judges wear hats in this country? <laughs> Number two? Number judges? <laughs> Number two. This one, again, might be kind of easy. Um, and I'll take either his real name or his uh, nom de crime. Uh, this criminal has published a fitness book and had an art show. Charles Manson, probably? Not Manson. Oh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber? <laughs> <laughs> no, not Ted no. Kaczynski, the Unabomber, either. So uh, I'm sure you all have all seen the Tom Hardy movie Bronson. Yes. It is no. Michael Peterson, also known as Charles Bronson. No. Uh, oh, that's why when you, and Aaron said Charles Manson, you said not Manson. Yes. Ah, subtle clue. Subtle clue. It's the teacher in me. I want to help people. A little too subtle if you ask the judges. <laughs> I thought you took that hat off. Uh, I'm wearing a, my judge's pants now. Oh, judge pants. Judge, judge pants. pants. <laughs> Got it. I haven't used said robes yet. Just pants. <laughs> Just pants. Pants and hats. They're cargo I shorts. I have judges. a wildly misguided view of the judicial system. <laughs> There's a shirtless, cargo shirtless man with hats, pants. <laughs> he, you broke into uh, the Smithsonian to write that into the Constitution because you thought that vandalizing the Constitution would work. I may have just been watching pornography. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the sex judge. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take off my the- judge pants. <laughs> <laughs> that was a no point, no pointer. Yeah, we okay. didn't earn it. 
Um, okay, so number three, this is actually topical, uh, considering what happened today. So OJ Simpson tried out for a movie villain, but he Terminator. was- Yeah. He was called too likable. Oh. And James Cameron said he was too likable. That's yep. pretty hilarious. More I mean, specifically, he said that he didn't. No one would believe that he would kill someone. Yep. I mean, I don't believe it. I mean, and according to our court system, he did he, not. He did not. Yeah. So yeah, as, as a legal robot, OJ yeah. Simpson is innocent of yeah. that, um, but he did rob that guy. Yeah, yeah. Just getting yeah. his stuff back with a gun <laughs> with and a, a kind of posse. <laughs> and it wasn't just getting it back; he was like kidnapping them and shit. Yeah. Like, it was like weird. It was weird. Anyways, um. Don't kidnap people no. or murder them. This podcast does not advocate that. On the record, I don't think O.J. Simpson did any of it. <laughs> <laughs> On the record, I don't even think O.J. Simpson played football. I just think he was an actor in the first Naked Gun film. Oh, he's so good in that. I, I don't think he exists. World. I think he's a figment of our imagination. <laughs> I think that if we all sit down and don't think about O.J. Simpson for half a second, he dies. Yeah, that's why you got to clap your hands together. <laughs> <laughs> Get up, O.J. Get up. <laughs> all right so aaron's got one point you guys are tied so which movie from 1973 inadvertently had a cameo by a serial killer i'm gonna say deliverance exorcist 3? oh you're right i think it's just the exorcist the exorcist yeah the exorcist has a, a nurse in it that william freakin met that like the nurse in it that ended up being like a murderer of gay men and like then that's why he made cruising exactly yes yeah i'm not shooting for two points or something here i just wanted to both got a point i'm actually giving it to, to you both you're yeah. tied on that question i mean the judges agree i was listening to an interview with william freakin recently and he was talking about that and how he was like it's so strange that like i hung out with and worked with this guy and then like just finding out later that he was you know he lived an entirely double life from what what he was he was doing on that day on set which i thought he was just you know a medical professional it's kind of kind of insane yeah they call him the bag man he also uh killed a film critic and that's how they caught him and then while he was in jail he confessed to killing all these gay men and then that's sort of how his his status as a serial killer was born and then also kind of where cruising the perhaps most homophobic and transphobic movie ever uh was created i've never seen it he must have really liked jail he wanted to he got in he was like i'm gonna, this place I'm gonna is awesome. on this. <laughs> okay. there's a book cart that comes around every day i get served mush this is amazing <laughs> Have you had this mush? This mush is great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Big mush fan. I, yeah. Who doesn't like a good mush? Okay. I like it. I just don't want it every day, you know? Well, variety is nice. That's the great thing about mush. You never know what's in it. So you're <laughs> you're actually getting a ton of variety. Mm-hmm. It's true. You, you'll never know. It's a surprise every day. Kids love mush. Uh, the kids, they love it. The mush man come, drives through the neighborhood. Kids just running out into the street. Oh, man. I thought, you were gonna, I thought you were going to go, the, the mush man cometh. I'm like, <laughs> I am into that. Yes, the mush man. We'll have to watch the mush man cometh. The mush man cometh. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, yes. Last question, and this is a two-parter. Mm. Oh, wow. But considering that you're still both tied... I might be inclined to give partial credit if you can't name both of these people. So, 
Uh, the Natalie Wood disappearance. There are two actors: Christopher Walken and uh, um, um, Aunt Robert. He's in uh, the first Austin Powers movie. He plays number two. Yeah, that's not a name, uh, Aaron. It's not Robert Woods. They don't share a last name. No. Um, oh, I'm forgetting. Not Robert Forster. Uh, what is it? No. Is it cocaine addict James Woods? <laughs> no. It is not cocaine addict James Woods. <laughs> James Woods? All right, I'll settle with my one point. Uh, Robert, it's not Robert Wall. <laughs> <laughs> she had that taste. Ar- you know, you know Arliss strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing where you have a name in your head that you just like, it's not, I need the wall to move away so the right one comes in, and it's just not happening. Now I'm just seeing it spelled out w u h l that's not how you spell wool <laughs> or wall or wall yeah. what i meant it's not robert loge it's not robert stack why do i have every robert but the person who killed natalie wood I, it's going on too long just i lost judges yeah you lost it's robert <laughs> wagner damn robert it. wagner i got i got uh i was gonna say is the first name right and then i was like hmm Maybe the first name's wrong too. Uh, you know when you like it, you're like trying to guess a trivia question. And you're like, it's definitely Bob, and they're like, it's not. Bob. It's not Bob. It was, yeah. Well, everyone knew Christopher Walken. Everyone knows knows Christopher Walken, but it was actually That's why I had to jump in there. Her ex husband Robert Wagner. I love that. Do you, do you guys watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen a bunch of it. Yeah, there's a there's a great bit uh, during like the Seinfeld season where uh, where Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld are talking about. So what the hell happened on that boat? <laughs> it's one of my it's, it, that constantly pops up into my head, and where they're just like, "What was Christopher Walken doing there?" I know it's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's why that I think that season's the best because you get a lot of like what it was probably like to just have Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David hanging out and talking all day, which I imagine is remarkably entertaining. Uh, all right, can we be done with? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we one. killed this. Yeah. Thank you for bringing a game, Amanda, and one that I could win. See, I was looking out for your best interests. Do you guys want to talk about a little film named Wolf Creek? Question mark? Sure. Why not? Exclamation mark? I guess I'm alternate tagline. Now, Peter, you wrote one last week. Very nice. Um, I didn't this week. Uh, I'm going to say my alternate tagline is not the wolves you're thinking of. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you are the 92nd recap, I believe, Peter, based on uh, deduction. So um, three uh, wild and crazy guys, two women from England that are visiting Australia on a holiday, and one is from um, Sydney and is returning to that part of Australia, uh, get in a car together and drive across the continent. The girls, I think, to leave the country 
it sounds like. Uh, and then the guy to uh, meet up with a, a girlfriend that we never see or hear much hard details about. So they're traveling across the country. We see a nice little uh, travel montage and such. And then uh, they go do some hiking. And while they're hiking, their car uh, becomes decommissioned at some point. Their battery won't even start. And they just kind of sit there and wait for, you know, somebody to come along and help them. And who, who comes along to help them? But Mick Taylor, this big broad, jokey, funny Australian outback type who's, you know, he's got a hat and a bowie knife and guns and a big fucking truck with spotlights on it and all that. And he uh, he takes them back home. He's friendly, gives them booze and everything. And then the girls wake up. Their car has been stripped for parts. These two women, uh, Liz is bound by zip cords in a shack. Christy is being actively tortured by this guy as she's being bound to a pole. And he's threatening to you know, torture her, to sexually assault her, to murder her, to do all sorts of horrible things to her. Um, while this happens, Liz uh, escapes, does kind of a badass thing where she breaks out. And she causes the distractions. So he'll come out. And then while he's distracted, she goes in. And she ends up shooting him in the neck. He survives that. And there's this sort of cat and mouse thing going where they... They escape from him, and he's hunting them down one by one. He eventually kills both Liz and Christy, and then we flash back to Ben has been crucified. He loses himself from his crucifixion, and he escapes. He's helped by, you know, this this couple just driving along, and uh, yeah, Liz and Christy are, are goners. He's unable to help them. He doesn't even know, doesn't even attempt to help them or even have the ability to help them, and at the end of the movie, we sort of get a very quick, like... He shots of him basically being accused of the crime. They couldn't find the women. They couldn't find the place. They couldn't find the guy. But eventually they're like, never mind. He didn't do it. We believe him. And then the last shot of the movie is this pretty incredible, beautiful sunset shot of Mick Taylor walking off in the sunset. um, And, you know, hinting that he's still out there and he's going to get you. The other thing, so what's interesting, Pierre, that you mentioned that, um, I know there's two versions of this movie. I think I may have watched the director's cut. I also did. That's the, the default, I think, now for oh, okay. versions. From my understanding, looking at the difference between the two, uh, is that the kind of romantic story between Liz and Bin? Uh, sorry, I made myself laugh. Bin. Yeah, I know. I said it with an Australian accent. <laughs> Bin. Um, Liz and Bin. Uh, they, uh, Bin. 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 That's what this podcast is going to turn into for the rest of the episode. (laughs) They had like a, I kind of like this person and they had a little flirtation. I guess all of that uh, was not in the original. And I like that stuff quite a bit. Yeah, Um, I did too. uh, Amanda is, I guess the key scene is, Amanda, so your cut had Christy sleeping with Ben, right? Yes, yes. I I saw the director's cut as well. Okay. Well, because you mentioned there was the girlfriend in the city. But maybe maybe I just didn't notice that because they only mentioned her like twice. Okay, so they basically say at the beginning, "Oh, he's cute. Oh, but he has a girlfriend in Sydney. Do you think she's real?" And then uh, a little bit later, he mentions her briefly, and like I didn't quite pick up on if there was some sort of implication happening if he's just cheating on his girlfriend with these two women. Yeah, if she even exists, it was was she a cover? For some sort of like, oh, don't worry, you can drive with me. I have a girlfriend in Sydney or like, yeah, maybe she broke up with him like Aaron mentioned. Like what? Okay, gotcha. I think it adds layers to their interactions and it makes them those three 
characters that I find actually very interesting, I think it makes them more interesting. I do think it makes them more sympathetic. It, you know, the girls are going home. He is going to his girlfriend, you know, so there's there's this sense that they have lives. This, this is a snapshot of just their whole life. There's things outside of this incident that we're following them on that I think makes them more sympathetic. And I think that this movie does a couple things that It Follows does as well. It kind of makes them act like younger kids mm-hmm. and it succeeds at making them endearing through that. Like they're, they're burping or they're playing car games. They're teasing each other. And like that sort of stuff, I think uh, if you don't take it too far, can really endear us to them. So I'm glad they left some of the extra details in. It goes on a little bit too. It's like a good half hour of them just oh, kind yeah. of discussing this stuff. You know, like, I really like, the like there, there's literally like a pre-credit sequence and then they have a montage over the credits of them driving the car. <laughs> and then there's more car. Like they, they take, their time and i'll say you're right they do a good job of it i it's a little uncomfortable for me to watch because um these these characters are about the same age i was in like 2005 2006 when the movie came out and everything about their like their style and and all these all these other things like it's such a douchey college kid circa 2005 movie yeah and i was a douchey college kid and all my friends were douchey college kids circa 2005 so it is like watching like a past version of maybe not myself as much i didn't wear like the rings on my like fingers and i never shaved my head and then had the scruff and like i didn't i think i may have owned a pair of camouflage shorts but it is kind of like watching all of my friends that i you know thought was pretty cool 2005. I didn't read anything about this movie uh, before I watched it. And and I kind of went in with very dire sort of expectations about what, what it was going to be like. And I, I think having that huge stretch where you actually get to know these characters is so beneficial to the movie in the long run. You know, I think if it had been, you know, something like a saw where you're, you're sort of into the gore immediately. So like maybe you see the characters all partying and then all of a sudden they're getting hacked to bits or whatever. I don't think you would have built up that sympathy over time for them. Yeah. Um, And that was one of the things I was really surprised that this movie took the time to do um, is, is get you on the side of these kids. Like, yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of douchey, you know, they're like party bros or whatever, but you know, they're just sort of setting out on this cross country journey and, you know, stopping at random sites to hike and things like that. I mean, it it sort of makes them seem more than, than what you initially think they're, they're going to be. Aaron, you said something that I think is true of me as well, not the fashion and all the, the specificity in that sense, but I really resonated with these kids because of, well, A, in the director's cut, the sort of sexual, like, Ben sleeps with Christy and then uh, he sort of falls for Liz and then him yep. and Christy talk and they're like, and they're like, and, she, and Christy's like, kind of shoes him on, like, yeah, go get her. That's sort yeah. of like weird sexual dynamic reminded me a lot of like my yep. experiences in college where like yeah well you'd make out with a girl or a couple days later she'd be encouraging you to like go on a date with her friend like that yeah. sort of stuff I found really believable uh, and then also the way that they're sort of like fucking each other and yeah going cross country trip on a drive is like cl- that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre shit right, that's, right, right. that's classic classic like shit you do in college but it's hard to find time for as an adult 
Yeah, yeah it's that we don't really have jobs yet, but let's take a week off in the summer. And you don't you don't have the same concerns that people have. You kind of wake up hungover and kind of sweaty every morning, and like let's just hop in the car and see where you go. And I, I agree with you. It also has the uh, oh, there's so many people that dated in like college, especially uh, myself included, where all of a sudden you just were kind of like around someone a little bit, and you get like that quick puppy love. And there's not really anything like you haven't talked about anything remotely <laughs> serious or mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, it's just like an immediate like flirtation that like I feel like at some point that goes away. Like as you get a you know past twenty five, especially you don't usually just like all of a sudden like are suddenly dating someone for a few weeks. Like right, right, right. Where that happened all the time in college, and this is like that. Like there's no reason besides like they're two good looking kids, but mm-hmm. you don't see much besides just flirting. But that's like that's all you needed at that age was yeah. just we can flirt. Yeah, I find this movie as a a drama. Um, really compelling, and, and you know, actually, I wanna I wanna double back also on something that Amanda said. Amanda referenced Saw. This movie was at the not the peak because uh, it's still pre hostile, uh, but it was at the. Um, oh no, it's post hostile. What year was hostile? Two thousand five. This is two thousand five Australia, two thousand six America. I thought, yeah, I thought Hostel was like 2006, 2007, but it's still like around that that time where torture porn was a big discussion among people. And it was like a sort of fad where like a kid's my age, myself included, were like trying to find like the most extreme shit. Uh, I think I hit a wall with like the guinea pig movies or Faces of Death or something. Like at some point I was like, actually, there is a limit to what I want to watch. But uh, this was one that I really respected and felt like, you know, this is them trying to make a real movie, whereas like Turistas still didn't feel like a real movie and all the saws after like three didn't yeah. feel like real movies they felt like they were just like ideas strung together well and this opening feels so much like so many of these fucking like right uh, and i like a lot of the i, I you know extreme horror torture porn whatever you want to call them i prefer not torture porn because i feel like it's a weird way to dismiss uh an interesting genre that had as many hits and misses as any other genre i agree you can talk more you hear more about that in our devil's rejects episode uh, where we kind of go on about that but i think i think this opening of like college kids or post-college kids on vacation like it's like a perfect getaway it's the ruins it's so hostile like so many of these kind of these kind of extreme horror Mm -hmm. movies start with this premise but most of them it's like a quick 10 minute thing and then they're in the shit at most exactly that's what i went in expecting and to get sort of this really sort of prolonged first act where you're just spending time with these people I feel like saying pleasantly surprised perhaps isn't quite the right phrase, but I really was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. To circle back on the torture porn thing, and I I understand this is completely like a subjective opinion, but I feel like so many of these quote unquote torture porn movies that came out that you're just expecting this like nightmare grisly movie that is going to happen for the whole thing. And I think Wolf Creek, I think um, I was expecting that Mm -hmm. for fucking audition, Mm -hmm. which I guess, you know, was pre-torture porn, but it was like this, oh shit, you're just not even going to be able to watch this. Is gonna... I'm pretty sure Audition only got a DVD release in America because uh, right, they exactly. thought that they, they yeah. could sell it to a torture porn friendly audience. Definitely. Definitely. That's probably the case. And I think even stuff like, um, you know, the, you know, Devil's Rejects. I think we mentioned it there. Like, 
you know what? These movies are not that gory. Mm-hmm. They're not any more gory than like the 80s slasher movies. They're just – they're right. a little more grimy. But like even even the first couple saws, it's like, yeah, they have like one or two big scenes. Yeah. And then that's it. This idea like – it's like this kind of like sustained depravity like it's – you know, I haven't seen a Serbian film, but that's kind of what I'm imagining. Like here's my theory on what's the difference between like uh, a torture porn quote-unquote horror movie and another type of horror movie because I don't think it's gore. I think it's how dirty everything is, um, mm-hmm. like how dusty and how like sweaty stuff is. I think that's the difference between torture porn and normal horror. I think that what what makes it disturbing to people is just everyone's kind of covered in dirt. Because you think about these movies like Hostel, Wolf Creek, right. and The Devil's Rejects. Everyone seems really sweaty. This is hard to explain, but it, it reminds it's like almost like everything's covered in like this layer of sepia or something where you know everybody's just kind of like the dust bowl has just run through this movie set and everyone's yeah. just covered in a if the room's clean it's horror movie if the the room hasn't been swept in a while it's torture born and i think you're right i i definitely sort of approached this movie thinking that it was going to be just wall-to-wall gore, that it was going to be, you know, just completely shocking to my sensibilities. And and I don't know if it's because I I came in with that idea, but the movie itself really won me over. And I was really sort of... I, I, surprised that really the the violence and the gore and what have you is really confined to just that back third. Mick gets shot by Liz around the one hour mark. And you think Mick you think Mick is dead. Mm-hmm. The, usually it would be the Halloween thing or the Halloween thing minus five minutes. So you think the killer's dead and then the killer rises mm-hmm. again five minutes later for right. one last right. hurrah. You think they killed Mick and you're like but you're still tense. You're still uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. She even hits Mick with the rifle. Liz is very smart during this scene. Like, sh- she frees herself, but she hides when he comes in the room because she doesn't think she can overpower him. And then when he finally walks over to Christy to resume his torture, she snuck behind him mm-hmm. with one of the guns. Like, that's so smart and it's so, like, uh, commendable that the movie was, like, sort of reacting to slasher stuff. And I think that the combination of the early character development stuff with having Liz be so competent, but not too competent. She still, she still experiences terror. She's still weak. Yeah. It's sort of like I, we just, I was just talking about the um, Night of the Living Dead remake that uh, where, where Barbara was made into like, Barbara could hit headshots and Barbara could, you know, Barbara could nail some boards into some walls and stuff. Yeah. And that was George Romero who wrote the script was reacting to criticisms of, uh, you know, the original Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, and Liz still also, like, her her plans, like, she's very strong and capable and has a lot of, you know, she has a lot of fight, I guess. Yeah, no, she's She spunky. still is, like, a, a person who's under trauma and uh, in a panic. So, like, even though she's, like, capable and fought back, like, she's not, she also, like, okay, well, I tried to kill him and that didn't work and there's no more bullets and I'm just going to leave. Like, she's, she's making, like, very human mistakes they're easy for us to go go grab his knife and slit his throat but like and and even like right. even like the blowing up the the gas it's easy to go okay well that 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 bites you what that bites you 20 seconds you know tops that's not a great plan but it yeah. is like a a smart plan and a good plan for someone who's like in a complete mental like panic breakdown. And so I, I love that they kind of allow her to be innovative and think of ways to get out of a situation and not like just run away in fear. 
which Bin does uh, later on. Bin? Uh, Bin. Bin does. But, like, still allow her to be human enough to, like, I am not, you know, I'm not Ripley. I'm not, I'm not this, like, super human uh, heroine who's able to, you know, think of all the ways to stop this. Like, I am also just a person who is experiencing a trauma. One of the things that I really liked about her character is that she was trying her damnedest. You know, she was, she was taking control of the situation as much as she could. She caught, she got herself free. Um, she was able to rescue her friend. Um, she was able to put her shoes on, which I know seems like a really stupid thing, but when you're barefoot and having to run through the outback, you know, the fact that she had the presence of mind to put some shoes on so she could do that is really interesting. Ben goes out in the outback without his shoes. And Ben's shoes were right there. We saw it. Which I, and I, so I think like this, this competency that she has, just this general, you know, badass, I'm going to figure this out. You know, she succeeds um, for quite a while makes the part where all of a sudden she becomes slightly more incompetent, more frustrated. So that part, you know, they've driven the truck off the cliff or pushed the truck off the cliff. Instead of trying the different keys that are on the key ring to the car that's right there, she goes back yeah. to the compound. I don't think she doesn't think she has time there because there's like 20 keys, well, right? Yeah. Right. But but she has time to run back and then she has time to like read the newspaper clippings and go through the photographs and, you know, and and it's like she loads one gun and, and you know, I'm thinking, grab other things. You know, there's a knife. Yes, grab a knife. yes. And, you know, then she gets in the car and she breathes a sigh of relief. It's like, no, there's no time for a sigh of relief. So I think that early competency, which I was so excited to see because, you know, you usually don't have that in one of the, the women in, in these sorts of movies her incompetency at the end was just so frustrating but do you think it's like incompetency or like because here's what it feels like to me it feels like and this could be the wrong reading of it that you know at first she has a lot of adrenaline she busts out she doesn't know where Mm -hmm. she she saves her friend and it's like the reality of the situation goes on and on and on more and more like panic and like real world like it's it's that thing where like at first you're able to really Oh, you know, in in like a tra- trauma, like a car accident, you're like, okay, we got to do this, and then we got to do this, and you get that mm-hmm. weird burst of like problem solving energy, and then as like the, mm-hmm. the magnitude of the situation starts to come down on you, you you get more and more like shaky and shitty at trying to figure stuff out because all the realization of the of the situation you're in starts kind of crashing down. That's kind of how I read it, but maybe that's maybe I that's... agree. I agree, Aaron, and also the only thing I, I agree with both you actually in a sense. I think that I find all of her actions late in the movie uh, pretty believable because she's in just like a full panic mode and like she's having to improvise whereas like in her first burst of competency she has like time to plan because he doesn't know that she's coming at him but I agree with you Amanda that she does a couple small things where a she reads the newspaper clippings which is like obviously for us as an audience wouldn't be frustrating if we didn't know that she getting murdered. It's when there's this contrived moment where she drops the gun down a mine shaft for no reason. Oh my god, yes, yes. At that point, yes. they should have done either one or two things. One had the weapon be in a locker and she doesn't know the combo to like a locker so him using like actual gun safety like fucked her like something like that (laughs) Uh, or or more likely she gets the gun she gets it it's so exciting you think she's gonna like drive that car and go fucking kill him and then lights flick on he's behind her stabs her 
doesn't matter that she has the gun. Yeah. Her having the gun already showing that she knows kind of how to use guns, even though she's from England and should have no reason uh, to know how to use guns. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, she at yeah. least knows what a trigger is, so I guess that's all she needed to do. That Those were the two moments that frustrated me, but overall I found I found it kind of okay because like I could see her like falling apart in front of the screen, which is like a hard thing yeah. about horror movies where like your character changes in front of your eyes. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. It, but it has to do it non verbally because you can't someone can't be like my competency is going down yeah (laughs) yeah you know it's so frustrating to think that this character had the presence of mind to create the diversion even though i think we all kind of agree that how much time would setting the car on fire really buy or probably not that much but to have the presence of mind to do something like that and then to come back to the compound and then just sort of fritter away valuable time was frustrating for me to watch because I saw her be like this badass lady. I also think though, you know, my first thing about watching last night was like the blowing up the car is a really interesting idea. Like she's trying to take action. She's Mm -hmm. trying to do something. It's also like a bad idea. Because oh yeah because, no it's not a good idea no. so but. so I actually felt like it was in line with a lot of things that she did later on mm. because yeah throwing the gun down the well and doing some other things she does uh, are not are yeah. not great ideas she just no. doesn't know what to do but she's not gonna like sit down and like start crying in a puddle she has to do something yeah. and she's someone who's under such like immense trauma that half the time it's it's the wrong thing and and i you know who wouldn't make a million wrong decisions in that you don't you don't feel like you have sure. time to think you're just like okay i'm gonna do this and that's gonna be a thing so it, you know even the that stuff I, I don't feel like at any point in the movie she was making fully good decisions for how to get out of this but i i think the movie's point is like no one would no and you're probably right has an agency to her that i was surprised that she had and so i think that made me want to sort of root for her more yeah oh absolutely um it's heartbreaking it's like Like, look how badass she is look at what she's doing yeah it's like oh my god she's she's shooting the guy and she's blowing stuff up and she's getting her friend out of there and like oh god let's just push the car off the edge and then he'll think we're all dead and you know i mean none of these decisions end up well but they all buy her time. And these are all decisions that would work in a movie. Like, that's what it feels like. It feels like, you know, it's the get the gun shooter. It's the make the explosion to distract him. It's the push the car off the cliff. Like, it feels like yeah. they're you, that they're almost positing that she's someone who is, like, responding to this situation as someone would in a movie because she's seen a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, in the try to do the gritty horror movie, like, it doesn't it doesn't work in the real world. Yeah, what you were saying was, was makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. The, I'm glad we the, went on. The... Fi- <laughs> <laughs> There's a a sort of groundedness to the film that is reacting to slasher movies in the past. So, like, Mm -hmm. you know uh, when you're watching a horror movie and you're, like, yelling at the screen and you're frustrated that, like, somebody's not – I don't actually yell at the TV, but, like, you know in your head you're yelling at the TV, uh, like – But you know when I yell at the TV. Yes, when you yell at the TV. Uh, You get frustrated (laughs) with people and, like, you're like, just do the thing, just do the thing, which, uh, you know, I don't always do because normally in movies, like, it's not too contrived. I think dropping the gun and reading the newspaper was too contrived for me to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I think that a big reason that I find this movie so viable and so believable is the photography. My favorite part of the movie, bar none, yeah. is the photography. Yeah. Greg McLean. Greg McLean. Uh, he did some... Greg. 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 Sorry. 
Craig, uh, Craig did some gorgeous work with the photography and the cameras <laughs> and such. Uh, he was going to shoot this movie on a much cheaper film stock, and they decided to get something a little bit better for this, an HD camera, and it really shows off. Like, it is... No, I think it looks great. I, I was surprised at how um, how good it actually looks. And the, some of those landscape shots were gorgeous. Oh, yeah. the shot of the meteor um, hole? You know? As they call them? Yeah. Some yeah. people call them craters. I call them meteor holes, I Meteor guess. hole. <laughs> meteor oh, so you're, you're Stephen King from Creepshow. Yep. <laughs> meteor shit. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. The photography in the movie is gorgeous. And I winding back is that that gives a sense of groundedness. So like when she shoots yeah. him through the neck and then she beats him with the rifle and she leaves the body there, the movie is doing two things. One, it's saying no reasonable person would actually, like, go get a knife and cut his throat and all that shit. That you would be like, why are you shooting her again? Like, she doesn't know about guns. She assumes he's dead. She shot him in the neck and he's laying on the ground. Because they use this this sort of everyday, not only performance style, but also photography. Um, when that happens, you don't ask questions. You're like, yeah, he's going to come back because we're only at the hour point, but you have a hard time getting frustrated with the character of the way that they shoot it. This natural sense where the body looks so still on this digital camera, the body looks so dead. And then also when he gets up, you are lingering on him a lot. So I guess he, he, they were telling us he's alive and it's kind of cool. The movie gets to kind of have its cake and eat it too, where it's like, it wants you, it wants you to like believe that this is a grounded believable slasher scenario in real life but <laughs> so, also you're in a slasher yeah right right right. so that's the perfect transition actually because my favorite part of this movie which i was it feels like a weird movie to be sitting at all day and laughing about a certain aspect for it but <laughs> but i did so you mentioned this is supposed to be kind of realistic this will kind of transition to i know amanda wants to talk about uh the true crime elements because amanda unlike both of us did her research. She gets primary okay. sources. She interviews the loved ones. Not like that Wikipedia IMDb stuff that Peter and I do. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so this presents its movie as a true story. It's not. Uh, it's a, it's, right. No, it's, it's not. I've never seen a movie ever that operates on this true story logic. So there's kind of two ways to do um, – or I should say three ways to do based on true story. There's based on true story where they try to follow stuff and they change things that are movie related that'll make it more interesting. And then there's uh, inspired by a true story, which is I think what this one is trying to be, but it still kind of like tries to keep an internal logic of like inside the movie, everything is presented clearly as a true story. And it gives you like how it could be true, even if it's, it's not. And then there's like the third way, which is the Fargo way. Which is, we are using this to, like, enhance tension and all this stuff, but it's not really a true story. We're, we're fucking with you, right? Right. So this movie presents itself as a true story. And then it does something so internally inconsistent that it's, that it's hilarious. Because in this movie's logic, if you take it at face value, it's a true story. By the what the movie is telling you, he the, the, all three of them get knocked out by, by the drinks that uh, by the killer makes for them. He then goes through this uh, cat and mouse game, tortures these girls. He has all these killing deaths. There's like a fight. And at the end of the day, he uh, hunts down one girl, slices her finger off, you know, severs her spine and kills her. And then the other one escapes and is taking a car at the last second. He, you know, shoots the car and kills her uh, as well. And that's and that's the story they're presenting as a true story. 
At the end of the movie, we find out that the guy, who is our only source in this movie, to the point where they say, yep, we never found the guy, we never found the girls, we never found his compound. So this movie, you go, okay, well, okay, well, movie, so I'm taking you at least at your internal logic. How do you know any of that stuff happened? They're like, yeah, we don't. It's like, well... Wait a second. <laughs> you, you've literally invented this story that even in your version of events you're telling us, no one could know. All we know is this guy woke up and tied up and then ran away. They didn't find the bodies. Like most of these movies that try to present this true story, like he would, he would have come back and said, I saw the whole thing. I found their bodies. I put two and two together. And they would like try to give you those little bits for how they expanded right. the story. For this, it's like, yeah. We don't know. We just made all that shit up that could happen. Like, in the movie's logic, it is insane. It's so funny yeah. because, like, it's funny and, like, super dark because even in this movie, it's like, yeah, we don't know what happened. Those girls are just gone, though. Oh, so the whole thing about, like, him, like, that he rapes all these girls and he steals, like, video cameras and, like, all these little things. Yeah, it's all made up. <laughs> it's great. It's, 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 you gotta trust Ben. No, normally, trust ben. normally, but he, but Ben doesn't know any of that stuff. That's what's so funny. Like most of the time, yeah. you would like you would go and you would read about a movie that inspired to be a true story, and you go, "Oh yeah, they made all that stuff up." It's rare that in the movies world, they're basically saying, "Yep." Like that, those end credits, the epilogue basically tells you that they made all this stuff up, and no one knew anything. Like yeah. didn't find girls. Didn't find the killer, didn't find remains, didn't find video cameras, didn't find the compound. Yeah, none of that. Yeah. I mean, those girls are gone, though. That could have happened. It's, it's like the end of Clue. Maybe this is what happened. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. It's ins- I've never seen a movie that, that, that puts that big of a hole in its own attempt to, like, display true events are based on true events part of the reason i wanted to do this movie this month and i pushed to do this movie this month is this is clearly doing a texas chainsaw massacre thing we're like oh absolutely like the victims of this crime i'm doing a law and order voice now i guess but uh voice from texas chainsaw massacre yeah uh it sounds kind of like the law and order voice but like uh way more creepy um but uh, they're trying to do this sort of a couple things like one they're trying to do a texas chainsaw massacre thing which is like like this is real mate like this is a real thing that really happened and then also mm. they're trying to they're trying to build a slasher character like a yeah not, i don't know if they're trying to build a franchise but they're trying to build like a iconic slasher like yeah and they, they do it for two reasons one you know when she's looking at newspaper clippings i forgot about this she stops to look at video cameras that are in a bucket yeah, in the basement that, the, oh, which is so dumb it's okay. super creepy like, it's, it's very effective. Yeah, but it's, it's still one dumb. one of the scariest things in the movie, but it, uh, it is incredibly dumb of the character, and it ties in with the, the newspaper thing where, like, she knows everything she needs to know about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. People aren't in research mode <laughs> yeah. when they're getting hunted. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to your point, that has a girl escape. So, like, you can go, well, she mm-hmm. told the part of the story that, that she remembered, and that's enough that they built out while – like, that, that movie has yeah. an internal logic to its bullshit based on a true story. <laughs> this one doesn't at all. You know what they needed to do to, like, fix it is just make uh, Ben and Liz telepathic for the last act. Or, like, he stumbles upon <laughs> – or, like, he walks through the camp. And is like, 
Yeah. Oh shit, that's her with her fingers off. Oh, and look, here's the video <laughs> camera. Or like a normal movie where like later on the cops find the compound abandoned and they find right. the bodies and like something to give credence to this thing they're presenting as a true story. Instead so they're like, yeah. Yep, nothing was ever found, no one ever knew about this. We've presented it in detail. <laughs> And that thing where they try and blow up the universe and make him, like, this iconic slasher. Like, this isn't some weird thing that he does. He's done, like, twice in the past 30 years. Like, this is something that he uh, has done a lot and has collected enough to gather enough video evidence. Which implies that there's, like, how many people carried cameras in 2005 and filmed the entire trip enough that they, like, could he could build a bucket like, a lot of people probably didn't take video camera footage of this. Like, that that implies there's, like, I don't know, ten times as many murders as there are cameras in that bucket. Like, <laughs> That was, a, again, one of the, the links that I made, but one of the things that I think is strange is, as somebody who's driven through Texas, which, mm. you know, Big, from that's one tip to another. Really. That, well, yeah, I mean, we could talk about that later. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, you're looking at a good 12, 14, 16 hour drive. Nobody's filming that because everybody in the car is miserable. Yeah, I I really love driving through the desert and driving through like low plains of Texas and Oklahoma, like parts of Oklahoma. I guess like half of Oklahoma was pretty to drive through. Um, I really like that stuff. And even I was like, well, the part in Tulsa, sorry, (laughs) not Oklahoma City, Zach. I like all that stuff, and I took like twelve pictures from Chicago to San Diego. Like, <laughs> right. At no point when I was, was I like, like, hey, honey, like, uh, what are we doing? I, that there must have been a lot of people because only a, a few insufferable few take uh, camera footage. The creepy thing is, you know, who I think would take a lot of camera footage. Parents. Yeah. Like oh, having yeah. kids, kids are a great reason to film everything because like it's right. inherently interesting footage. Like even my nieces and nephews, not my kids. I take yeah. so many pictures of them and I like, oh my God, look how little she was a year ago. Like that's, that's inherently interesting. So the creepy thing is like a lot of these, these cameras are probably people with children, right? Well, way to bum us out. Mick's Peter. probably killed a lot of kids, which I think leads into my final point. Mick would be <laughs> a weird character for them to try and make a franchise out of. Yeah. And Greg McLean is trying to make a franchise out of Wolf Creek. He's already made a sequel and he's making a third one right now. He's making a third one too. Yeah. It, it yeah. is weird. Like, Freddy Krueger, like, you need goofy killers. Not like, and I think they try to make him a goofy killer. I th- they do. No, I think they do. They try to give him some humor. They try to give him. He really seems unexpected. Like, when he kind of does that turn on, on Ben. And he, uh, yeah. and, and Ben all of a sudden is like, you must love it out here. Or like, you, you know, living off the land. Yeah. And, stuff. and he does that long stare. And that's like the first time. Now, you know what movie you're watching. So, you know that right. he's going to be a killer. But he is so personable and like, no, I'll help you. Okay. And he's like, not, he, he doesn't do anything they want. He's like, well, no, I'm not going that way. But if you want me to tow it, here's what I'm like. He seems such a, a reasonable uh, a reasonable human being, and and yeah. there's all of a sudden that moment, like right before everyone kind of mm-hmm. wakes up, tied up, where he's like Ben's making this joke, and he just gives the uh, a million yard stare. Yeah, so it seems like yeah. forever. Yeah, that scene seems to like just 
the camera just sits on that too, which is I yeah I thought was a very good record scratch. Yeah, because you just want Ben to shut the fuck. Like I don't know what you're saying. It's offending him. Nothing you're saying sounds like inherently offensive. Like I guess you're just like, hey, you must love living out here. Like which is not like an offensive thing to say. He's not like making stereotype jokes. But like you, you as like an audience member, like okay, I don't know what you're doing, but please just shut the fuck up. He's shut the fuck up. It's not going well, Ben. It's like accidentally condescending because he's he, yeah. It's a thing that everybody, uh, what well, not everybody, I'm probably guilty of, and, and like it's something you have to be very careful of to not be like a condescending city boy. Right, right, right. I think we should double back a little bit to the the Killbillies part of this, which is he is a, a crocodile Dundee type, and he briefly discusses very much like Wake and Fright. He's this like. He, he led this, like, hard-drinking cowboy life where he hunted uh, kangaroos and uh, boar and uh, ox and shit for mm-hmm. local farmers or something. Yeah, yeah. He was doing, like, um, oh, God, what do they call it? Like, numbers control or something. Yeah, population control. Uh, right. Because roos are very much like deer in the Midwest and I guess parts right. of New England, but uh, where they're a pest. Like, there's way too fucking many of them. They'll trample your yard, knock over your fence, like, eat your flowers. Like, Yeah, it, well, and the, the environment at that point just in, is unsustainable for them. Yeah, there's just too many of them, and that's why, right. that's why like, deer season opens up, and then it's like, holy shit, like, thousands of deers are getting shot, and it's like, well, then the population booms back, like, a couple years later. It's, like, crazy. Wait, not that we're advocating that, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) That portion of it reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because the central portion of it, because I know we're doing Kill Billy's Month and it can be kind of culturally and class speaking condescending, but I wanted to touch on this and that's that both of this movie and Texas Chainsaw Massacre posit that these killers were created and not that the situation creates, but the situation happened to create killers who were economically driven out that they're mm-hmm. they're they're on the outskirts of society because mm-hmm. they lost their respectable and in, in scare quotes respectable job right um just like texas chainsaw massacre their their little family slaughterhouse or whatever it was got um shut down because there was like a bigger company that was coming in i'm trying to remember what what gets said by that crazy dude in the beginning of texas chainsaw massacre but it's it's a similar idea there's like the family business and then like the small business and then like oh now they automated everything um in this they they just put poison out which is like i guess a form of (laughs) automation automation (laughs) i guess a form of automation so so in a sense he's sort of like a, a lone sawyer yeah, the class plays a role. It also probably posits that his bitterness has to do a little bit something with, like, fucking tourists with their, their city tourists. These soft kids from the city mm-hmm. who, you know, they're, they're, they're daddy's money. They come out here, they act like tourists. I'm going to show them something. Yeah, you know, I disagree a little bit, Peter. I don't think it's justified. Um, but... <laughs> You know, I definitely well, definitely thought it was justified. Definitely think that what he's thank doing. Thank you for that moral stance. Yeah, I'm just gonna you. say like I, I, you know, Peter and I agree on a lot. I don't think that that if things get really bad in rural areas, that you should abduct vacationers and murder them. But you thank know, you for actually clarifying my point that if things get really bad, if you're in a rural area, abduct and murder people. Yeah, I think it's wrong. Yes, what thank I'm you. Good. Um, I, <laughs> I, I kind of want to circle back though a little bit on the the true story aspect before we get too far away from it though because yes. because Amanda actually did a ton of research 
Amanda, tell us what this – this movie feels a little bit like an open water too, which is a reference not many people are going to get. But that movie is basically – it has no sharks. I know you would think because it's a sequel <laughs> to a shark movie that it would have sharks. It doesn't. Uh, but it's So is, disappointing. It is based on a true story in the sense that um, it's about these people that like they, they all go uh, diving off their boat. Most of them end up dying because they forget to lower the ladder. And if you have a big enough boat and you're all in the water, like – it's fucking hard to get back in a boat in the middle of the ocean. Uh, and so, like, I was like... White people problems. Def- oh, oh, they were wait, definitely no. white white people. Uh, and uh, and uh, so I, it said it was based on a true story. So I went, like, yes. digging and, like, mm-hmm. it was, like, based on, like, one potential, like, article and, like, something that no one could source anywhere. So it sounds like it, it, it was, like, barely based on a true story. Like, this happened at one point where they had to call in an emergency rescue c- crew because people, like, couldn't get back in their boat. And there, so right. they made this whole movie on it. It feels like that vein. Am I right? Or is it closer to, to truth? There are elements that are very true, and then there are elements that are a little bit different. Um, so... Uh, this is based on a case called the Backpacker Murders uh, that happened in Australia from 1989 to 1992. So not super recently, but reasonably recently. Um, the uh, murders were committed by a man named uh, Ivan Malat, who, um, and I, I don't, I think I wrote this down somewhere, but he was like the sixth of 14 children. They lived sort of in the, in, um, uh, kind of a rural area in Australia. He's sometimes considered the most famous Australian serial killer. He was arrested in 1994, uh, for killing seven people, men and women. He would lure them, uh, or find them in the woods. Uh, so that part tends to be true. These were usually people who were hikers or backpackers. Um, sometimes they were camping. Um, one of the things that he did, he would pick up hitchhikers, um, for the most part and kill them. He did have a, a proclivity for severing their spinal columns. Head on a stick. Head on a stick. That's definitely, Hid. um, a part of his Hid. MO. Hid. He'd on a stick, mostly stabbed uh, his victims, although a few of them, the police said it looked like he used them for shooting practice. Ugh. Right. Yeah. Um, pretty gory. Basically, some other backpackers stumbled upon the remains of these other uh, of these deceased people. And they were like, and well, this isn't the- great. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is actually kind of shit. Yeah. Oh. All right, we I'm got real mess here, don't we, then? <laughs> oh, we're a real bugaboo, eh? Yeah. I feel like it's probably like the cops from uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. Yeah, have a meeting. <laughs> you should have a flat meeting. Oh, this is, this is um, no good. This is no good. Over the course of a, a few months, they start finding more and more bodies, essentially. And it, it makes the news. And then this British tourist who had been um, in the area in the 80s, I guess the, the story went global. And this British tourist who has the best name, his name is Paul Onions. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, um, Paul Onions, eh? Paul Onions. Roy. Saw, I guess, the the footage, the, the news reports or whatever, and realized that the weird guy who had picked him up while he was hitchhiking might have something to do with these crimes. So Mr. Onions calls calls the Australian authorities, gives them a description of this man, and it matches to this Ivan Milat. Uh, his defense was essentially that one of his brothers did it. 
that it wasn't him. Man, this um, really is a prequel to Making a Murderer. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so he he kept saying, you know, it was one of my brothers uh, that did this. He uh, was employed as like a road construction guy. Um, he didn't drink. He didn't smoke. Uh, he was, you know, pretty much known as kind of a teetotaler guy. Paul Onions testifies they have all of this um, forensic evidence. He ends up getting put away for life and he is still currently in prison. Um, a few years ago, uh, so he's uh, been very active with the appeals process. And in fact, uh, at one point, he was upset that uh, his complaints weren't being heard. So he severed one of his fingers and mailed it to a high court judge. Um, because he was mad that he didn't get to testify in person. He could only testify via writing. Super stable. Yeah, super stable. Um, that sounds like something that then, would definitely convince the judge that he wants to be in the room with him. Right, and, and that he did not kill anybody. Um, apparently, it was a plastic knife. What? So, it, it, it took some serious effort. Yeah, it was just a pinky. So, does that mean he had, like, what, nine more appeal attempts? <laughs> He's got nine more appeal attempts. Yeah. Um, a, a few years ago, he went on a hunger strike, and I think you you guys will appreciate this. He went on the hunger strike because he wanted a PlayStation. I'm into that. Um, <laughs> wait, a PS1? Uh, it didn't say you which version. It just said a PlayStation. PlayStation. Like, those were terrible graphics. Also, the Norwegian <laughs> the Norwegian anti-Muslim killer. Yes! He also yes. demanded a fucking PS3 and said that, like, his life was... There was cruel and unusual punishment or whatever the term would be in, in their particular parlance uh, for denying him a gaming system. Well, he had a PS2... And he wanted a PS3 yes. and wanted to be able to pick his games. Yes, yes. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. That, that's also just classic, <laughs> like, Scandinavian prison systems where, like, you kind of get your own nice little apartment and you get a lot of uh, right. amenities. But, like, hey, I mean, if you got to have something to complain about. It's true. It's crazy. It's true. So he went on He went on the hunger strike for a PlayStation. Did you get it? I did not find record that he got it. I don't believe he got I feel it. Like that, because... I feel like they don't give in on that. Yeah, everything that I read um, said that they didn't want to give it to him because they didn't want to encourage other people. Makes sense. Um, they are still linking him to crimes. Wow. There are still missing people, missing hitchhikers, missing backpackers from this time period, from this region in New South Wales that they are still linking crimes to. And strangely enough, this is kind of creepy. In 2012, his 17-year-old nephew and a friend did a copycat murder. Whoa. Yeah. Wow, that's terrifying. So, yeah. You're thinking not great dudes. I'm I'm thinking there's something weird about the Malat family. I'm just I'm going out on limb. It really is the Ed Gein thing where, hey, yeah, no, there's a guy. He skinned people. He did all this stuff in this movie. Kind of said, hey, there was a vacationer murderer, backpacker murderer who did some of these things. And we just took that idea and made uh, a story. But that really means the epilogue is complete bullshit, right? Because. Oh, absolutely. That guy yeah. didn't. So, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to go back to this and, and harp on a point here. But it is like, why <laughs> do they do that epilogue that counteracts the rest of the movie's story? Or if you're already making a bunch of shit up why don't you have them walk through the goddamn how, like it doesn't it's so frustrating yeah and hilarious i think the epilogue and then you uh we were talking about earlier that actually very beautiful sort of shot of mick and the sunset and it's you know it's like all aflame and everything you know i i i that's to set up a sequel you know i think that's to build this mythology of this character um but this real dude is sitting in prison you know yeah and the, yeah. the, the target practice thing it brings up an interesting point part of me feels like there are segments in the movie where he lets the women like run a little bit 
mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm, he can mm-hmm. uh, actually get to test out his sniper skills. Uh, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that yeah. thoroughly with Christy. He definitely could have taken her down, taken the other guy down in like ten seconds, maybe taken her out a lot earlier. Because he apparently was already set up and tracking her, but he wanted to like make yeah. a game out of it, and that mm-hmm. that relates back to his previous job of like rue hunting. So he's like, it's almost like right. a, it's almost like a sexual thing. He's like building up. It takes him a little bit more to like. I actually think I think you're right, Peter. I think that's a really good transition to the the other component I want to talk about because this this movie really is trying to make a. I'm not saying this is this was the intention of the filmmaker, but it's trying to make a like a gritty Freddy Krueger. Like he's a he's oh, a witty. Yeah. No, it's setting up a new boogeyman. Exactly. Yeah. He's a he's a funny, charming character who commits mm-hmm. these grisly murders. I think it's overall a successful movie. You know what's really hard? You're already doing extreme horror. You're already doing, you know, people haven't showered in a while. It's sweaty. It's right. dirty. Right. All the things that we associate with torture porn. Uh and uh that I tried to start an hour ago. I think if they would have made him sexless, they would have made it more mm. successful because the yeah. part, like Freddy Krueger, obviously that's you know his past is he did some stuff with kids, right? But they don't make a like a big deal of that part when he's like going off on his uh, his little rants and stuff like that. It, it does feel like the whole thing where he's like. I normally use a condom with you people because you're full of disease and I'm going to like, and he's shoving the girl's like, been. yeah. Um, and, he's, yeah. and he's shoving the girl's face in his pants and stuff like that. Like, yeah, got, like it's really hard to have that like charming, goofy and uh, anti-hero killer type person when like there's omnipresent and oppressive sexual assault uh, implied right, exactly. and like threatened directly to these people. So I, I yeah. agree. And I also think that the, the charmingness of him is not supposed to be an asset. I think you're supposed to be on rewatches, be creeped out by it very much like how mm. like Ted Bundy was a very handsome killer and he would like charm women and like he did some tricks to get women like back to his house or to a place where right. he could hurt them. But but he also did some stuff where he just charmed them. Um, yeah. And I think that it's... It, he was unassuming. Yes. And I think it's supposed to be very much like horror where horror is best when it keeps you on your toes and it uh, undermines conventions. We're used to these killers mm-hmm. being these like groveling psychopaths. Like he's actually nothing like any of the Sawyers because none of the Sawyers could crack a joke and that makes him scarier because he can blend in with everybody. So it's sort of like him right. him being half charming and a little homophobic and also like he's got some, he's got some problems with his charmingness but like him being a little bit charming is like um supposed to make it's supposed to be terrifying once you realize that he's the he's the killer and they don't know i don't know if it's supposed to be his freddy cougar cougarization really but like i I think so like i think you're supposed to laugh at like a deep a dark laugh and i think it's funny like it is funny Mm -hmm. like the the black humor of like you know that's not a knife as you were saying like i do think he's supposed to and i you know, Freddy Krueger is a is a bad example if you're thinking of the sequels because they really leaned heavily into his quipsterism. But I think if you're thinking of the if you're thinking of the original one, he kind of yeah. is the same thing. It's that I'm going to make the audience laugh and I'm going to horrify the audience. Mm-hmm. And I I think he's doing the same thing, but with the graphic sexual assault present, it really makes it. It, uh, it it makes it tough to kind of stomach him as as like as that like don't make me laugh like right. fuck you and maybe that's the point of the movie maybe the point is you, yeah. you hate that you're charmed by this like 
unrepentant monster. But I, I think the movie's more compelling if if you just leave out those parts. Like, and it's tough because, like, that's kind of – he's just stripping the car for parts. He's stripping them for, for money. He's uh, – putting their cameras in buckets, presumably, to, like, maybe sell them or something and pawn them. Very much like in I Saw the Devil, where I Saw the Devil has one of the most terrifying shots in horror history, where the character that's hunting the serial killer undoes a filing cabinet, and it's just full of purses, purse after purse after purse. And mm. it's like that, where he's, like, processing women. And, and part of your head's like, yeah, but, like, wouldn't he also be, like, getting this strange, like, he's taking everything that he can from them to, like, live off the land. And also, he's like, this is the only way he knows how to associate with people is through violent action, sexual assault, and regular, regular assault. It's believable, but it's also like it does kind of not gel with the rest of. Yeah. Going slightly against what you're saying, because, you know, shocking as someone who's from Arkansas and has hillbillies in her family, they're especially in the the first part, a a lot of sort of the crappy jokes and the folksyisms. um I kind of related to in in that, oh, that's that one uncle kind of way. And as you know, as far as, you know, stockpiling the the cameras and the cars and things, I, I never got the impression necessarily that he was selling them. I got the impression that they were keepsakes. Yeah, I thought I, they yeah, were trophies. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, yeah. I guess I was wrong there. I think, yeah, that is totally a rural thing where like you just hold on to stuff. Right. Because you never know. Not everybody, I mean, I, but like just there's a there's a type of person that we all know. Yeah. Well, it's also hunting yeah. trophies. Like, yeah. like yes. you hang yeah, a deer head in your house. But th- but there is this element of, of going to some of these, not even like nice farms, more kind of sketchy farms. Um, but, you know, everything's saved because you don't know what you're going to need. Yeah. Yeah. And and so there was a lot of uh, a lot of the, you know they're panning and it was it was the quote unquote junk. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I've seen a lot of farms that have a barn that looks like that. Yes. You know what I mean? Like this is it's kind of it's casting this hillbilly as an as an other with my particular family background. It's that's not something that's that strange. It's not a life that I live now, obviously, but you know, that's things I've seen before. Um, not the murder and torture part. <laughs> Maybe oh, this Merle, is a cry for real. help. <laughs> uh, before we move on, though, from, from that, Amanda, I feel like in like the worst time to do this, we were talking over you when we were talking about the that uh, the killer uh, assaulted women. I don't know if you got to share oh. your thought on that. So, um, The one part that really... I think sticks out in my mind. It's tough to watch, and I certainly have strong feelings about sort of rape and torture scenes uh, of women. I, but I also understand that that's sort of part and parcel of a lot of horror movies. Um, but I, I really did think it was effective the way that they filmed everything from Liz's point of view. Yeah. It sounds stupid, but I feel like they did cut away at some of the most gratuitous or where you would assume the most gratuitous parts were happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was actually relieved. Yes. By that, because I had seen, so as you know, I was going on Amazon and I rented it so that we could talk about it. And uh, some of the Amazon reviews mentioned, you know, that Roger Ebert. Give it zero stars. Talked about how this. 
Right. And said that it was deplorable and that people walked out. And, you know, and as I'm running that, I, I was really like, oh, fuck, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> we um, warned you. I know you did. And, and I, and I had that warning. I had, I had the warning you guys gave me. And then I, I saw that. And I think that just contributed to this idea that I was getting into like the grimiest, grimmest, torture porniest kind of movie ever. And so I think that set me up to actually be relieved at portions that weren't as bad as I, (laughs) as my imagination thought it was going to be. Oh, thank God he has his pants on when her face is shoved. Oh my God. You know how excited I was? (laughs) Yeah. What a nice. He never unbuckled his belt. I was so excited. (laughs) Yes. I, I was like, oh, it's, there's going to be these massive rape scenes. There's these two women. It's going to be it's this is going to be hard. And and I think because of the cuts, um, because of, I you know, the horror is certainly implied in that he he are, probably already has assaulted her. He's going to assault her again. Um, but. I was relieved at the restraint yes. that Greg showed. What they don't show constraint is like moments that aren't moments that could, I don't think could trigger an episode in many people. Like, uh, like right. the fingers yeah. getting chopped. When it's off. over the top. Exactly. Or, or Ben being crucified. Yeah. It, the head on a stick thing is pretty brutal. Um, but it's still, they don't show that much of it. All of the brutality is on, painted on Liz's face. Right. Her, her spasming well, face. Well, you think of, of something like in The Dark Knight with the pencil trick. Yes. Yeah. That was just as graphic. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? In a PG-13 movie. In a PG-13 movie, in a mainstream Hollywood PG-13 movie. Yeah. Well, and I would say... Yeah, and, and like I feel like that you guys are hundred percent right. Like, first of all, the threat of torture and death and crucifixion and like that's scary enough. Like, I don't, I, right. I don't think there's anything ever additive to. Also, you're going to be sexually assaulted because it just adds yes. an element that like it doesn't increase the terror. Instead, it like increases your revulsion. Mm-hmm. Like, if if your entire point of like watching a movie is to make people uncomfortable and the only way you can think of doing that is like trying to depict sexual assault on screen and like it's only to make people go oh i don't like seeing that a you're not very clever because that's like Mm -hmm. that's like the basest thing ever like you're you're a kid trying to make people laugh by saying fart it's not exactly and it's like it's it's completely a good way to go well great i don't want to see that movie ever again like it's it's, yeah. it's taking away so much, like, rewatchability. And, and, and I agree 100% with Peter. It's like, yeah, it's just like, you know what? Why? It doesn't it doesn't add anything. At no point am I like, oh, now I'm scared because he might, right. like, violate you in the worst way you can, like, violate someone, you know, who's, who's yeah. alive. Like, it's just like, oh, I know why you did this. It's because you're fucking lazy. It's, it's – Exactly. Like, from a purely it- – from a purely, like, aesthetic – it's it's so lazy, and when you watch as many horror movies as myself and Peter do, it's like you see it too often that you like understand mm-hmm. how fucking lazy it is. Like we yeah. get it, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I and I mean this is um, so insider baseball, but this is a discussion that was on the dissolve a few weeks ago. Can a sexual assault be depicted in a way that actually does something for the plot? And 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 my opinion is ninety nine percent of the time, no. 
Yeah, I agree. It's it's a lazy, a shorthand for um, a character flaw or for something that someone has to overcome. Like, those are the only two options. Yeah, I think Rick Kelly said in uh, an episode, I forget which one, but he said, like, unless the movie is specifically about that, mm-hmm. there's never mm-hmm. any reason to do it because it's not clever. No. It's not interesting. You're not original. You watch something like A Big Bad Wolves, which I think was remade as The Prisoners. Like, first of all, you know... It, it, or anything like that. That is a movie that is a. It's about sexual assault. So I think you right. can say, should you make a movie about it? Is it worthwhile? That's a question. But that's what the movie's about. Is like how damaging and how that yeah. that that, that how, how that act is in some ways is like has these ripple effects that are like mm-hmm. like larger than if you just murdered the person and something like that. Right. Like so in those cases, like yeah. But if your movie is just using it to be like, oh, and also this will make this will. F- fuck with people you f- go, f- exactly. go fuck yourself no it's something that we talk about a lot on the show we end up talking about rape a lot because like this is a pro- pervasive problem with exploitation movies it is yeah using it as a means to amp things up and i'm a defender of two very controversial rape movies um i spent in your grave and irreversible are two movies that mm-hmm. i defend as like they took two awful, awful sequences. Faculty Horror has a really good uh, – the podcast Faculty of Horror has a really good defense of uh, I Spent in Your Grave. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to that movie on the show, so just go there. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, And I've never seen it either, so I can't really speak. Yeah, I've never seen it actually either because of the reputation mostly. And I won't get into the details here, but I feel like they pulled off something that's very specific. And the movies are both about male entitlement and – uh, how men contextualize sexual assault and why they would do it to a woman and how it affects women's lives and the ripple effect that it causes in everybody's life around the woman and the in the woman. And like, I'm a defender of both of those movies for like specifically drilling down and, and not having any fun with it. Like, there's no fun to be had. And I don't feel like... You- like, fridging a woman by getting her, her shot in a movie is one thing, but, like, fridging a moment, woman and raping her is, like, but yeah. why, why would you why would you conjure up this secondary set of circumstances, this secondary massive, like, sociopolitical issue for that? Just feels, just feels cheap. Well, yeah. The movie mostly stems away from it. The head in the crotch thing was way, way too much, I think. I think that was enough to insinuate without going full force. And and one of the things that I, I um, want to stress too that I think or I feel like was very refreshing is none of the women were nude at any at any point yeah, during the I mean point. you have you know, you you have some moments uh, like Christy loses her pants, but she's still, you know, she's wearing a tunic. So she's essentially fully clothed uh, other than a very early scene of Liz before all the action kind of begins. Um, Liz is always fully clothed. And, and that's something, too, that I think is is interesting and surprising. Um, again, another choice that I think I really appreciate that the director did is um, they're not made vulnerable through nudity either. Yeah. So the exploitation is that's I mean it, it's actually not exploiting the actors for the characters which is which I think makes it a right. little better where it, the threat of sexual assault is there but it's not it's not as lazy as most of these movies where it's like mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to throw out this like cuz I almost feel like it's worse to be like we're only throwing out the sexual assault as a threat A because we can't think of anything more clever to do to like 
express danger to the audience so that they feel fear, but also got to see that nudity. Got to see those right, naked people. Exactly. And we can't do that yes. in the movie if uh, if we don't throw up sexual assault, at least like someone yes. pulling down a shirt, even if it's not, you know, uh, further than that. So mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I do give it some points for that because that's where it always feels like the lowest of the low level of lazy where we threw out the worst thing that you can do to a living person just so we right. can see that those uh, – I don't want to say what I was going to follow either of those words with, but. (laughs) (laughs) The women are all wearing pants and they're all wearing like normal shoes and they're able to run. And there's no sort of complicity there that you're looking at the naked women that are being taken advantage of by this man. You know, I was surprised to see. I think we can kind of wrap this up a little with an important to note about Amanda, which is if you ever (laughs) want her to enjoy a movie, Make her think it's way fucking worse. Like, yeah, this is. I was uh, five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> this is this movie is totally great. It's not what I expected at all. Obviously, the the person I would recommend this to would have to have a certain mindset. I went in thinking that it was going to be wall to wall gore, wall to wall torture. You know, no characterization, just excuses for uh, blood and guts and boobs and. Um, so on that note, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> awesome. Aaron, do you have any final thoughts on the film? I really like it. It's, I don't think it's, uh, I would call Devil's Rejects something of like an extreme horror masterpiece or a dirty horror masterpiece or whatever. I, I don't think it's to that level. I just think it's like, you know, one thing we talked a lot on the Devil's Rejects episode is that every, every subgenre of movies, there's good examples and there's bad examples. And I think Wolf Creek is a good example of two things. One, it's a good example of this type of like gritty horror movie, extreme horror, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And two, these things are never as worse as they made them sound. Like I said this earlier, like Wolf Creek has about as much gore as any R-rated horror movie. It is not. Oh, absolutely. It is not this like assault on your senses. But no. what it what it does do very well is it, it has some surprising twists and turns. It is tense as shit. Um, yeah, and it, absolutely. And, you know, in some ways, it's heartbreaking. You get to know the kids. And, you know, obviously, if you're if you're hopefully you've seen the movie, if you're listening to this podcast, because when when both of our protagonists that we really are rooting for, we're really mm-hmm. rooting for them. It's not a Freddy or a Jason thing where you're like, yeah, kill these these kids that we've just put out there to be knife fodder or hand claw fodder. Claw fodder sounds better than hand fodder. <laughs> claw fodder. I don't want to call it hand fodder. Uh, but it, uh, <laughs> it's surprising when they they meet their demises and it's cleverly shot, but also just it deflates you like a balloon as an audience member because yeah. we've gotten time with them and they were trying so hard to get out of their situation in like this human way. Horror movies are, are kind of there to show you the blood, the guts, the gore, all the all the the stuff that you're not supposed to want to see in real life and you don't want to see in real life and it's like a, an outlet for that and this this adds a little level of heart to that that you don't always see in these movies uh yeah that's a great point Aaron. and i think you kind of uh swooped me a little bit because i think that the <laughs> the movie um fuck you do you want to go first um, <laughs> <laughs> no because because i do think that that's an important point is that the movie does have a, lo- a lot of heart and it wants you to care about these characters and not necessarily in a cruel way but in a way so that 
the tragedy of the loss of their lives actually has weight and value. The movie doesn't want to like laugh at you for trusting in these characters or, or something that cruel. But the movie is an interesting thing because by emulating an indie drama, in some senses, it kind of falls into a similar category that some indie dramas fall into for me, where I watch them and then I go, Oh, that was a pleasant experience. And then a couple months later, I have forgotten that it happened. In that sense, this sort of like calm, cool uh, groundedness of it and the fact that it's not elevated and in many ways apart from John Jarrett means that I I, I probably will, the characters will fade in time. Uh, a lot of the situations and the, the mechanics of the plot will fade in time. But like John Jarrett's performance is Mick Taylor are going to stick with me because like in one of those big toothy smiles and that grin where he's like, no, that's not a knife. This is a knife. Like one of those lines is enough for I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll remember this character forever. So in a sense, like though we have some problems with how they set up maybe a possible franchise that ended up being an actual franchise. And that's it succeeded because like I might watch Wolf Creek 2 and just see what the hell they did with it. Like. Yeah, people didn't like that one, even the people that liked the first one. But I am curious about – I always feel like when the reviews get that bad of like – even like – I think Scott Tobias like loved the first one and was like, this is garbage. I'm like, oh, that's actually more appealing to me. Like, why is this one garbage? Because <laughs> the director – although I should say, like, I like this movie. I watched this and Rogue, uh, his second his, – his killer alligator movie. Uh, oh, this, God. The same The same week. <laughs> His follow-up uh, on my honeymoon in Mexico. Um, true story. Uh, rained a lot. Trying to get horror movies in because uh, it was October. Um, but then pretty but soon. she I'm, watched Rogue with you? She watched Rogue and Wolf Creek. She she actually. Oh, she's a keeper. She, yeah, I'll probably keep her. I mean, yeah. To, to not. Maybe have a child with her. Oh, wait. Maybe have a child Maybe with have her. a child. Yeah, and to not keep her at this point is going to involve lawyers. It's uh, It's a mess. <laughs> Uh, no, no, obviously. But no, it was great. Uh, so it rained and she knew I was trying to do the 31 days of October. So she's like, well, we're stuck in our room. Let's try to watch some horror movies. Greg McLean is a director <laughs> who I, I just saw Belko Experiment by him. That was pretty good. Oh, is he, he did that. I love Belko knows. Experiment. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it's nice I love, to see I him. mean, like three and a half stars. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to see him do something that's like shows off his skills really well because he's good with characters and he's good with grounded horror. He's kind of a perfect choice for that that script in retrospect. But he's also done a lot of garbage in the past decade since Wolf Creek. He was he's sort of like Alexandra Aha, uh, who's like uh, Aja was, uh, Alejandre Aja, um, who I was like looking forward to their career quite a bit. But kind of fizzled out, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, that one, that was a shame. He had some really great movies. So, yeah, he was a director that I was looking forward to his work a lot. And uh, on a positive note, even though, like, in the past decade, he hasn't done much that I've seen that I liked or was interested in, um, Belko Experiment being pretty good means that maybe the guy's got a couple more tricks up his sleeve. Uh, I'll I'll go back to watching Greg McLean, I think. Did you like Rogue, Peter? Did you see Rogue? Not really. I didn't really like it. Okay. Yeah, it's not very good. Yeah, it's not Uh, very good. I mean, I, I think my, my review on Letterboxd was like, this is the best killer crocodile movie I've ever seen. Two stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's not many good ones. Is the point. So thank you again so much for coming on, Amanda. Um, thank you for having me. We will have you on again in nine months after 
we're, we're, I'm going to let you know that right now, so that in six okay. months you're not like, well, we've I've never been asked back. I've never been asked back. Yeah, no. every nine months. So every nine. <laughs> Like clockwork. Aaron or I, or I will make a baby, and then when the baby comes out, you can come back on the show. I can come back on the yeah. show. Do you want to schedule it now? What are you doing uh, 8.45 p.m.? We'll say March 13th, 2018. I, I'm sure I'll be here. Sounds Perfect. Fun. We're going to be doing Wolf Creek 2. <laughs> Perfect. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, I don't even know if that's We're going to do Rogue. Yeah, we're going to do Rogue. Uh, anyways, no, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Amanda, thank do you have anything? For having me. Do you have anything to plug? Um, well, I have a, a, a super secret project in the works. If, uh, you know, the pilot goes well, there might be a podcast coming in the future. We're oh yeah! Very I, I'm excited in the no one, uh, that one. to see how that turns out. Lower the bar. Yeah. Well, it's especially <laughs> early on. It's like you just got to make something and then fix it after. Our early episodes had a lot of problems that we hopefully fixed. Um, but yeah. So <laughs> or just don't care about anymore. Yeah. Or just have learned to ignore. Uh, like all problems in life, just either fix them or learn yeah. to ignore them. Otherwise, yeah. it's not I'm worth worrying them. about. Okay, so, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Aaron, what do we have planned for next week? Peter, next week, we got the return of the bad boys of film. <laughs> you know them from their work at writing books together and being blood-related. Um, Dustin, Adam, Vukoski brothers. The brothers Karamoskikov. <laughs> yep. It's Hooper time again. Toby. There it is. Hoop. Hoop. There it is. <laughs> Toby, back again. Check it, direct it, let's kill people in our movies. Aaron, yeah, keep it up? moving. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this is what happens when we record twice. In, yeah, twice in one week. Peter's fucking done with me. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. We you, don't I have to talk Aaron. again for a week and a half. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're doing uh, Funhouse. I'm fun so house? excited. I'm so yeah, excited. I've never seen it. So I'm excited. Uh, so next week, we have some announcements for the network. We're going to have uh, a surprise episode for you. So you will still get four Killbillies this month. Uh, we only promised you four in the month. Uh, fuck you. Uh, this oh is God, how we engage turning into me. <laughs> I, I, you guys have so many fans. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> They're gluttons for punishment. Every last one of them. <laughs> The next movie we're going to be covering is Funhouse, and we're also going to be taking a week off, and then you're going to get two more episodes for this month. Uh, Aaron, what is the next movie? Uh, that After that, we are doing Tucker and Dale versus Evil with Carrie Nelson. Very exciting. Fun. First time guest. Uh, Amanda, actually, you helped us get in touch with Carrie, so we have to thank you I in did. advance, because Carrie yeah. is great, and uh, that's going to be very fun. Carrie is great. Carrie's awesome, yeah. and that movie's a lot of fun, so you guys should have a blast. It's yes. our first, like, actual comedy, too, so we we discussed it for the, the last time that we, we did uh, Kill Billies, and we're like, you know, comedy's so subjective, we don't feel 
like we're we're we have our feet under us enough to really like discuss how a comedy would work and uh, you know a year later we feel the exact same way but we think carrie's up for it yeah <laughs> yeah karen can do it i think it'll be a good way to keep uh, a contrast and help us explore the tropes of what a hillbilly horror movie is and uh carrie's amazing so we'll uh we'll have fun with that and then we're going to close out killbillies this month with um and then uh, we're going to close out the month with a twofer to make up for that lost week. It's going to be The Hills Have Eyes in a head-to-head match. The uh, original versus the remake. The remake actually by uh, Alexandra Aja. That's going to be uh, your five movies, technically, in August. Because you, are, we're not taking an off week. You're just not getting a Kill Billies episode. You are getting a surprise episode um, that surprise! you've never heard before and we're really excited about it yes so uh thank you very much amanda and uh yeah good night and uh you take take care now (laughs) y'all what that's not australian (laughs) uh uh, shrimp on the barbie why don't you have a good night cuddle up to your barbie shrimp uh oh wait wait mate wait wait is is barbie barbecue I think it's supposed to be, but I heard that that's not an actual legitimate term. Mm. Shrimp? Like, that's an American thing. That's really interesting. I'm going to continue to use it for like 20, 30 years. Do you mind? <laughs> no, I, I think you should. Okay, cool. All right. Sounds right, great. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, WLTWpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash We Love to Watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us. Give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.